Danny, where are you? I'm 30 minutes in the past, eating an ultra cheesy burrito from Taco Bell, even though you know it makes me gassy. Where are you now? 10 years in the future. My doctor tells me I'm lactose intolerant. I always knew this. My mom was lactose intolerant, but I always ate the burrito. I always loved the cheese. I am always eating the cheese. It never ends. Nothing ever ends. Welcome to Film is Lit, <laughs> the podcast where we take a piece of literature and compare and contrast it to its film or television adaptation. My name is Danny. I am the self-appointed film expert. I'm Laura, the self-appointed literature expert. Yes, you are. And today, this is part four of our coverage yeah. on the Watchmen graphic novel, part three of our coverage on the television show. So the first part of this was the movie, Zack Snyder's film. And then now this is part three of our coverage on the show, mainly focusing on episodes six through nine. But we're also covering the whole show as well and talking about it because we have a special guest today on the pod. Those are always the best episodes. I, I love I them. I know. <laughs> Every single guest we've had has been great. But this guest, not to put the pressure on, but I hope this guest is the best. And if they're not, then I'm going to be pissed. <laughs> Anyways, it is my pleasure to introduce my college buddy. I know him as Boom but his real name is Michael Shortino. Michael, say hello. Hello. <laughs> it is so uh, great to have you on the pod. And yeah, just as a quick explanation for all the listeners, Michael and I were on a college sketch group, Slow Children at Play at Boston University, and we all had nicknames that we, we gave to each other. So, And that's what we called each other. So I'm struggling to call Michael by his name, because I, I literally know him as Boom. So there might be a couple times when I, I call him Boom and he calls me by my nickname, which is Motown. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we uh, went to college together and we have similar film tastes. And I, I knew he was a big fan of Watchmen. He actually introduced the motion graphic novel to me when... Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, our, our junior year. And uh, I had seen the film... But by that point, I hadn't read the graphic novel. So that was actually my first glimpse into Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons's work was that I saw a little snippet of that that you were watching at the time. Mm -hmm. I knew you were a mega Watchmen fan. And after we released the first episode, you had messaged us about it and told me your thoughts. I'm, I'm like, we got to have them on the pod. <laughs> so just a quick question. When you say motion graphic novel, oh, is right. there... What does that mean? Like, yeah, it was an animated version of the graphic novel where oh, they took the frames, the frames, the and yeah, windows and animated huh, some of it. That's and, cool. I didn't know that existed. Yeah, yeah. I was actually I was watching some of it last night in anticipation of this because I actually I jumped to the actual physical graphic novel first, mm -hmm. and just having literally just watched the finale again and having seen visual images, seeing moving images, to jump to a graphic novel. I was like, ah, I can't, I can't do all this still imagery. So I said, yeah. let, me, let me take a look at the uh, the motion comic and see if I can get a little uh, segue back into the the That's actual comic. Very interesting. I wonder if I would 
enjoy that. Uh, that was really similar. We're going to cover Akira in a couple of episodes. Mm-hmm. And it was very similar to my experience where I, I struggled reading it a little bit. Yeah. But when it was directly ad- adapted for the screen, it was kind of easier for me to keep up with the, the right. storyline a little bit because it was coming at me a little faster. I remember you were saying in the first episode um, that when you were reading it, there were whole just like chunks and like plot points and storylines that just totally went past you. Yeah. And and I empathize totally because that happened to me. All the like the little details of Ozzy's plan with, with Max Shea and the writer and all the things that yeah. like when you go back and read it, the panels are all there. But on mm. your first reading, it's like all this stuff just it's like not important enough to like meddle in your brain. Yeah. But in the motion comic, you're hearing every person talk. Yeah. And they're kind of like pushing that at you. So it does, it really helps you focus on what's happening. You you miss a lot less. Yeah. And well, and the other thing with the graphic novel, I think I probably took three weeks to read it. Mm-hmm. And when you put a book down, you just naturally start forgetting little things that didn't pop out at you. And so, you know, compressing that into a shorter movie, I think would really mm-hmm. help me like, okay, that was just said like, 20 minutes ago rather than like a day and a half ago, you know? Right. Yeah. But no, that's really interesting. I'd be interested. Well, so actually I have a question for you, Michael. So sure. being a fan of Watchmen, were you a fan before the show came out? The... Uh, yes. Uh, okay. What was right. it like to like find out that they were making a show and then watch it episodically for you? It was extremely depressing to find out that they were making a show. Okay. Because in our in our age of reboots and yeah. all this, you know, cash grab sequels, you know, they were always kind of taunting making a Watchmen sequel, whether it was a movie or a comic or a TV show. They ended up doing a, a prequel comic series that I never read. But it was always like for years, they were kind of hovering over your heads with like, we may ruin your beloved franchise. We may come out with some garbage. So when they announced the HBO series, it's like, all right, well, here we go. <laughs> they're yeah. gonna they're gonna right. ruin everything mm-hmm. um but that's why i actually didn't watch it unless i did no i don't think i did no i didn't i didn't watch the show as it was coming out it had been out for like a month or two just because i was so not interested in seeing it uh because yeah. i didn't think it was going to be good mm-hmm. that eventually me and my other friend who we kind of got into it together we kind of sat down and we're like all right we just we got to bite the bullet we got to watch this thing and mm-hmm. so every night for like a week we were watching it at the same time, texting each other constantly, and we were just blown away. It was nice. so good. And we were so, uh, we felt so bad that we waited so long to watch it <laughs> mm-hmm. that, uh, oh man, it's a great show. Yeah, it's yeah. that's understandable because I know that a lot of, I do the same thing with adaptations. Like if there's a book that I know that I really enjoy, I'm just like, ah, you know, I did that with Hamilton. You know, I think a lot of sure. people did that when when that came out on Disney Plus. It was like, I've seen it on the stage. I've heard the original Broadway actors sing on the recording. Like, right. I just don't know if I want to be like heartbroken by this. What is this sort of thing? But yeah, mm-hmm. so it's definitely understandable. <laughs> and that's I give a lot of credit to um, Lindelof, right? Damon Damon Lindelof. Yep. Mm-hmm. Because you get someone who actually cares about what he's doing. Like this, mm-hmm. this wasn't just like a bland studio production. This wasn't yeah. just like some suits said, oh, Watchmen's popular, let's make that. Like this is someone who came in and like had an idea for it. Um, yeah. And what I really liked was that all of my like criticisms of the show and all of my points of contention with it are like philosophical 
rather than like, oh, that episode sucked. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. not like it's not like just the show was bad and I didn't like it. It was like, oh, well, I don't like how how they did this because so and so. And like you can have a discussion about it and maybe maybe yeah. I'm wrong and maybe the show's wrong. I don't know. But, um, you know, there's there's an actual idea and a, a logic behind it. Um, I completely agree. I actually read this really interesting interview with Damon Lindelof right before mm-hmm. this podcast recording. And I think I'll probably post it on the podcast page too so other people can read it but i this is kind of my first introduction to him because i have seen bits and pieces of the leftovers i've seen bits and pieces of lost but like haven't really heard that great things about the ending so reading this article gave me an introduction to the way that he approaches projects mm-hmm. and that's exactly what he said he was like i wouldn't have done this if i had something to say with it and he also said like part of adapting is changing And so he put a lot of pressure on himself because he knew it was such a beloved vehicle for so many people. He was like, if I don't bring something new, it's just going to be a remake that I'm not interested in. And he also mentioned a season two because the interviewer was like, you know, rumors of season two are coming out. You know, do you have anything to say about that? And he was like, honestly, I don't have an idea for it. And if I don't have an idea, I'm not going to make it. He's like, I would be interested in revisiting it, but I don't have anything new to bring to the story. So at this time, no. And I was like, that's great. (laughs) That's a great answer. And that's really what I admire most about this season of television is that it is a complete story. So many times in television, like with my favorite shows, they just get strung along Mm -hmm. because they're popular. We're big fans of Stranger Things, as a lot of people are, but gosh, I hope they don't, I hope it ends at an organic place. And some people have argued that it should have been one season. Yeah. Uh, We just love the show so much. We want to see more of it. But the last thing we want is for it to be strung along and for the writing to suffer as a result of that. Well, so so I'm especially glad you brought up Stranger Things. Um, And this will, this will probably tie in a little better later on. But I was going to bring it up in particular because I, again, I was a little late on Stranger Things. So I ended up binging the first like three seasons, let's say. I think there are only three seasons, aren't there? Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So anyway, um, but so I watched uh, season two and I loved it. It was great. And, you know, everything gets tied up with a nice bow at the end and everything's fine. And then to go from that to immediately start season three and you know, all the like ominous things happen at the beginning of the first episode. And it's like, Oh God, can't these people get a break? This yeah. is, we just, we just solved everything. Yeah. And yeah. now like the whole world is going to collapse again. And that is kind of my opinion of this Watchmen series where Watchmen, like it, it ties up and then you bring in this series and it's like, oh God, you know, everything was logically solved. Are we really going to open up all these wounds and do all this stuff? Uh, and it turns out, yes, we are. And yes, it's probably worth it. You know, this yeah. is, we, we get some good stuff out of it. It's not just like, just for the hell of it, we're opening up chaos again. I guess I'm a man of two sides. I totally see your point and agree with you. But also the conflict of the show doesn't feel forced. It feels very organic. And as Dr. Manhattan kind of alluded to at the end of the graphic novel, saying nothing ever ends, Yeah, I think it kind of makes sense for even though Ozymandias saved the world, quote unquote, in 85, for things to start up again and for the world to almost end again. It's like, yeah, 
that makes sense. Right. So I, I, I'm on, I think mm-hmm. I favor the show much more just because I love it from a technical standpoint of like the action and the, the score. We talked about this, the score in the previous episode, uh, which you haven't listened to yet, Boom, because it's not out yet as <laughs> as of this recording. But mm-hmm. yeah, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross's score. I mean, I, <laughs> listen, everyone loves those guys, but they truly deserve the praise th- that they get <laughs> in this standpoint. I, I have their whole soundtrack score in my Amazon cart right now. It's three, three vinyls. <laughs> so right. I'm like, gosh, Maybe I'll wait for payday to drop the $80 that that costs, but I see both points. And I also had kind of the opposite reaction to you when it was announced that there was a show. I was overjoyed because once I read the graphic novel in college, Mm -hmm. that's when I came to the realization, oh, obviously this is a TV show. Uh, This is not a movie. Uh, it's insane that, you know, it was greenlit in the first place to be a movie with this much content. So even though I was excited, then it was announced that Damon Lindelof was the showrunner. And I'm like, uh Oh, cause I hadn't watched the leftovers by that point. Mm -hmm. And I'm like lost. It was strung along the season. Yeah. Which is exactly what I didn't want to happen. I wanted the show to be, you know, a beginning, middle and end. And I got Mm -hmm. exactly that mm-hmm. which I was surprised. Right. I thought Lindelof was going to string us along, just like he did. Yeah, and Lost, just like he did in Prometheus, with writing a movie that poses a million questions and answers none of them. Um, <laughs> I was so nervous at that point. It's it's literally the the antithesis. It's like it's the exact opposite way you would want to make a Watchmen property. You're right. It's yeah. to leave it all like open ended and and strung along for seasons and seasons. That's, I didn't even think of that. If they made it like Lost, it would be horrendous. Oh, yeah. So right before the show came out in 2019, I watched The Leftovers, which is a mm-hmm. show I like. But for anyone who hasn't seen that show, basically it's about how life doesn't have answers. So I was like, oh, is The Watchmen show going to be that same philosophical lens that of just saying like, oh, everything's open-ended and you know you need to interpret it the way you view the world. And it's like, no, this is just a, a story and mm-hmm. conflict happens and it resolves. And as of now, there's not going to be a season two, which is, I'm like, hell yeah. Just yeah, end, leave it. Yeah, end with a bang. Well, right. I, yeah, I think it's a really interesting discussion because I also had, so I guess we can start talking about the last episode. We can sort of skip ahead because mm-hmm. I think, Something that I didn't like as soon as the last episode ended was I thought that when Angela found the egg and she started putting together like, okay, the powers are in the egg. I thought what was going to happen was she was going to like smash it. Like you thought she was going to take it, but then she was going to drop the egg and it was going to signify that she understands that no matter who you are, the choice to endow yourself with the God power is going to make you corrupt. And I was like, that's really smart. Like that's a good way to end. And then when she went past that and ate the egg and then they stopped right as she's putting her foot down into the pool and it ended, (laughs) I was like, well, that sucks because then it does leave it open-ended and it does Mm -hmm. like, it makes you, I think it really is clearly signaled that she is going to have the power 
And I was like, well, like, why leave it open-ended like that where even though there is this answer and it also shows that Angela could possibly swing the other way of get it, like going power hungry and crazy. Mm-hmm. But then at dinner, Danny and I were talking about it a little more. And after a little more research too, like I realized that like it is a show about legacies and generations and cycles and mm-hmm. how like nothing ever ends. And the show also very clearly signifies that a utopia is never going to be fulfilling to humans. And so there's like always going to be conflict. And I think Angela's decision to ingest the powers or whatever, like endow Mm -hmm. herself is actually sort of her understanding of like, I don't want this power, but I know I might be the best person to wield it if something Mm -hmm. else comes up. So that perpetuation of the good and the evil sort of thing, I actually thought like now I I think I've come around to really liking the ending because she's not like Angela, if nothing else, Angela's a realist. Mm -hmm. And I feel like she's like, yeah, like this isn't the end of white supremacy. Like we may have wiped out Cyclops, but something like this is going to happen again. Right. Nothing ever ends. Yeah. Yeah. What's your interpretation of that? Uh... Well, I was going to say, so you, I, I just went on a small roller coaster where I, uh, within the past like 10 seconds, where I loved the ending, hated it, loved it again, and then hated it. <laughs> yeah. um, it sorted out a few things in my brain that I want to talk about eventually. But um, bearing in mind, the Adrian says like right before that anyone who like intentionally seeks the power of a god doesn't deserve it. Yeah. So you you would think that the way that the ending I shouldn't say should go, could go, is that Angela notices the egg, and then what if she, like, feeds it to someone else who we've kind of, throughout the series right. that we've been, like, like propping up as someone, a very moral figure? As yes. soon as she decides to eat it herself, then it's like, oh, well, she thinks she deserves that's it. That's what I didn't like about it. Yeah. Right. That so was my gut reaction. Yeah. So, so if there was someone who was, like, kind of noble throughout the series, but never, like, got, got like, a good break, like, I don't know, give it to Will Reeves or something. You know, if you if you feed someone else the egg and it's like, here, I trust you with this power because you never explicitly wanted it. Yeah, that's kind of a cool ending. So, you know what? I take it all back. Hate the series. Yeah, absolute garbage. <laughs> or maybe Total like botch. Wade, maybe Looking Glass. I sure. Know. Yeah. Yeah. That guy got or, yeah, the, Wade. The, the bummest rap of all time. I know. Poor guy. Oh, my gosh. Like, so <laughs> his story arc was so sad, but I really like what you said about possibly her like giving it to someone and either like telling them or even not telling them just like making an omelet with the egg and passing that on because I think this is kind of like a Harry Potter sub theme too about like you know if you take the power knowing it you're never going to do anything good but if you are like you know it's thrust upon you or whatever then that's when you can make the best decisions while still having that godlike power but where I'm coming from it is that Dr. Manhattan knew that Angela was the right person. Obviously, he died and couldn't see past that, mm-hmm. but he picked, I guess you can say, there's not really a choice in his mm-hmm. life since he see, he experiences time at once. Right. But he knew that Angela was the right person for his journey. So I might be reaching a bit just because I like Angela and Regina King, the, mm-hmm. the actress, so much. But it didn't feel selfish to me at all for her to eat the egg at all. It, it felt like she, I was in her headspace of like, yeah, 
white supremacy is not over, even though this threat is over, but just like the world almost ended in 85, almost ended in 2019, we need someone else for the future. So mm-hmm. it, it, it felt right to me. I don't know. That might be just more opinion than analysis, but. Yeah. Well, so I do have a theory on this, um, but I don't know if we wanted to get into other things first before I yes. get into my. Go uh, for it. Yeah. Well, let's uh, backtrack yeah. first. Michael. Still yes. feels weird to say. Um, Michael, so tell us briefly about your history with the graphic novel and then briefly touch upon your opinion on the movie. Sure. I guess you already talked about the show a little bit. So, yeah. Uh, sure. So the year was 1994 <laughs> and a young infant Michael was born. Um, <laughs> several years later, a trailer came out for a movie called Watchmen. This is now 2009, 2009, as they call it. Um, so, uh, basically I hadn't heard of Watchmen until the trailer for the Zack Snyder movie came out. Mm -hmm. So the movie came out in March of 09. So this was like, I don't know, summer of 08 or something. I don't know when movie trailers come out, but basically I saw it as a small child and was like, whoa, cool superheroes. This is great. I'm so excited. Oh my God. And in anticipation, I bought the book or a friend loaned it to me and I read it in like a week and I was like, Oh my God. Cause I was expecting like a fun, like a crazy romp. Wow. Superheroes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it's like, Oh, good Lord. It's uh existential crisis and, you know, the abominations of human society. And, you know, it was much deeper than I expected to be, but it was that, that whiplash that made me realize like, okay, this is something special. This is a, this is like a hallowed work. And then the Zack Snyder movie came out. And I got all my friends together and then forced my dad to take us because it was rated R and we were all like 13 or something, 14. And he didn't understand it, but but that wasn't the point. Um, But uh, saw the movie. I've since... No, I haven't changed my opinion. I loved it. I thought it was great. Um, there, There is so much that is wrong with it. And there are so many decisions that were made that are uh, baffling. And there are so many decisions that were made that are totally understandable. Mm. And the the thing that I will come back to, very similar to how I thought the HBO series was just going to be like a garbage cash grab with no thought behind it. Say what you will about Zack Snyder. And Lord knows I will. But, <laughs> but my God, he went out and he made his movie. You know, he <laughs> he went in with a plan and he did it. And, you know, whether you like it or not, that is that is a Zack Snyder Watchmen movie. Um, so you can't be too mad at it. And I think the best example is how they switch the giant squid for a Dr. Manhattan attack, mm-hmm. which is the ultimate case of like, all right, Zack, I get it. In your, you know, feature length movie, you can't introduce a subplot where they build a squid and attack New York mm-hmm. and like... Mm-hmm thematically having Dr. Manhattan do it kind of works like it you're you're kind of replacing it with something that's just as effective without needing to explain six hours worth of stuff and so I feel like it's the kind of compromise that you would get with any movie version of Watchmen Mm -hmm. that there are just so many corners that you have to cut that whatever Zach you you did it You, you, you did what you had to do and uh, I mean, I could do an entire episode's worth of opinions on the movie, but I think I'll I'll spare everyone that. Yeah, <laughs> um, no, that's a that's a good um, 
summary because I I think without the context of who Zack Snyder is and his style it just failed for me personally. Sure. And so it's nice. This is why I really love having guests because people who have different perspectives definitely bring good opinions. Yeah. And she's <laughs> tired of my opinions. So we need to seek out other ones. Yeah. Get ready to be tired of mine. Yeah. <laughs> well, it just sometimes it turns into an echo chamber, you know. Sure. For us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Between the two of us. Right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but that's the thing. So I like, if you don't like it or like don't get it or it doesn't you know like i totally understand it's it can be an incomprehensible mess that movie but like having read the book a hundred times over and knowing like i feel like it's um it's like watching a harry potter movie and Mm. like having read the book a million times you know all the details in your brain so like you can fill in all the gaps Mm-hmm. So for me, watching the movie is just like your friends putting on an expensive play of it. It's like, <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember this thing and this thing. That's pretty cool that you did that. Um, <laughs> but like, I didn't need it to be perfect. If it was an HBO series, like it should have been, then I would demand perfection and like perfect mm-hmm. pinpoint accuracy. But I don't know. I give it a pass. It's a fun movie. Uh, it's a shame that he wasted a full hour by using all that slow-mo and, you know, whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're trying to cut down the length of your movie, maybe <laughs> don't be slow. <laughs> yeah. If anything, speed stuff up, I would say maybe do most of it in high speed, but, um, that's Zach. That's our Zach. Yeah. That's our boys. Zach. Yes. Yeah. Zach. Yes. That's kind of my feeling on Zack Snyder in general is that he is so obsessed with the images and the, uh, it, the imagery of mm-hmm. his films that sometimes he misses the point or sometimes he just goes the uh, immature route. I have a problem with his, I just feel like a lot of his films are have immature directions, but sure. Yeah. Well, and, um, the, and the funny thing with, with that is um, cause the whole point of the, the book is that superheroes are lame and worthless and they're all just like, you know, self-obsessed idiots and so the fact that Zack Snyder glorifies all the violence and all the fighting and stuff is almost genius, but he forgot to put in the satire part. Yeah. Like he forgot to, you know, it's it would it would be so smart of him to do, but you know, it's like he took it at face value and forgot to he forgot the point. Yes, I totally agree. In that interview I was talking about with Damon mm-hmm. Lindelof, he talks about one of the most ridiculous things that he did to a character was with Adrian Veidt mm-hmm. because, and he's like, if I had told, um, what's his name? Dave Gibbons mm-hmm. that Adrian Veidt was going to just like his only defense for why he shouldn't be punished for what he did to New York in 1985 was a fart. Like yeah. he would have murdered me, right. but I think it's so smart because what he's commenting on is exactly what you're talking about, like hubris. Like that is, we, you know, consistently talked about in Greek and Roman mythology and all other kinds of legends that hubris is what brings people down. And so to imagine an Adrian Veidt who is angry that nobody appreciates what he did because a, it's bad and B, he can't tell anybody that he actually did it (laughs) because it would revert everything that he did. So he's on his own, surrounded by sycophants, clones, and he just becomes this gross but kind of funny old man. Like, that is brilliant. And he could just wait around for, what, eight years Mm -hmm. until Lady True's Mm -hmm. ship comes and picks him up? 
but he needs conflict in his life. He has right. so much vanity that he purposefully makes the original Phillips his adversary. Mm -hmm. And I, I think the show is hinting at that that whole trial didn't have to happen. No, but, yeah, none of it had to happen. But <laughs> yeah. he orchestrated it just to have something to do so he can be on top at the end. Well, at the end, he said, like, I had eight years to burn. Right. Like, right. as that guy is dying and he's like, was I a worthy adversary? And he's like, no. <laughs> and then he kicks it. That's the hardest <laughs> like, I laughed great. in a while. Yeah, it's so, it's really, really smart. And I think when you said when you were making that statement earlier too, it made me realize like, I think that's a broader comment about humanity. Like utopians don't work because humans are prideful and right. we're flawed. Like we're not perfect human beings. So we can't really enjoy a continuous utopia. Like that's not interesting to us. And so like, because we're flawed. And so this consistent cycle of destruction and creation and destruction and creation is because we're flawed human beings like and we're prideful right. i think that's like the major message and he literally becomes a statue of his own pride that is hilarious yeah. that Which was another thing i didn't see coming and i was like oh my yeah. god that's I, so smart i did well, not see that coming you, either Laura, you almost saw it coming because you, uh, I remember it because Danny, you <laughs> yeah. asked her about the, the comet that comes down. You said, what is that? And uh, your reaction was great to it because uh, Laura, you said, I think you said Dr. Manhattan first. And then you said, I think it might be Adrian. And you were just kind of like, Oh, yeah. Oh, maybe, maybe, yeah. And, yeah. Here, and she was so, yeah, cause she was on track so well. She was like, Lady True is like Ozymandias 2.0. Like, she's like, <laughs> yeah, that was she like thing. is him. And I was just like holding it back, <laughs> yeah. being this like, oh, Laura, you're like right on the money. She literally is Ozymandias 2.0. I, I did not see that he, she was going to be his daughter. That was really, really cool. That was a great right. twist. And we talked about this too a little bit last night about how she had such an interesting character twist because mm -hmm. it almost wasn't a twist. Like she's kind of the same person, the same character right. the whole time. Oh, and this is another thing I was going to mention too. Like we talk so much about masks like she's not masked the whole time, but she's mm -hmm. obviously masking her personality and her intentions and her motives. And so just watching her, watching the context change around her, I think is what right. kind of reveals who she is rather than again, watching her change yeah. specifically. I don't know if, that, no, if yeah, that's no, making let's, sense. Let's, uh, I like where the conversation's going. I, originally, we we're going to go episode by episode, but I'm kind of more, let's talk about, I want to, Michael, I want to hear kind of your view on Lady True, the character, because sure. I know you had mentioned certain characters or certain plot points you didn't like where it went on a philosophical right. standpoint. So yeah, what are well, your so, thoughts on Lady True? So Lady True, I happen to like more than most of the characters. I, I she, she was pretty high up for me. Um, two little points that I'll say on what you were saying, Laura, is, um, good Lord, if I can remember them. Well, one is that um, your opinion of her as a viewer depends on the context. And I think the big moment where your opinion starts to turn around is when Angela is in recovery and Lady True is like running like the hospital basically of like mm -hmm. bringing her back. And so as a viewer, you're like, okay, she's helping our friend. So good guy. Like mm -hmm. that's, you know, it, it's all, it's all relative, but that's the thing when they introduce her with the, the couple on the farm 
you're like, okay, this is just like a bad, it's a bad lady. This is not a good mm -hmm. person. And then by the end, it's like, oh, okay, yeah, I was right. She's a bad person. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, it's like this strange double bluff through the series where she's just so powerful that just as long as your interests align with her interests, mm. she's good. Mm -hmm. And as soon as that comes into conflict, then it's not. And it's kind of a similar thing to uh, Ozymandias that like, mm -hmm. you know, as long as he's, as long as you guys are on the same path, you got no problem with him. But then it's like, oh, you killed three million people. Oh, I guess, I guess you were a bad guy then, huh? And he has no problem turning those little frozen squids into bullets yeah. to right, stop right, right. one thing from happening. To, mm -hmm. Yeah, even kill his own daughter. It's right. like, yeah, that's why he's one of the most complex villains ever, because he's right in the sense that someone who seeks the power of a god should not attain it but you know he's killing other people in the process like he even says it, it's like oh, i yeah. saved the world again yeah. <laughs> and it's it's satisfying to see him arrested for that because you know it was uh well killing three million people but also it was wade who was the one who knocked him out and like wade is the oh yeah knocking out the person who is responsible for decades of trauma for him so right yeah um, the other thing, cause uh, see every, every point we get on, there are like a million tangents yeah. we can go on. Uh, the last <laughs> thing I'm going to say about, uh, Lady True for now, and this, this might be just an absolutely nothing point, but, uh, Laura, you'd mentioned that she is never wearing a mask. And the only thing, for some reason, this reminded me of when she shows up at Karnak in Antarctica. And mm -hmm. there's that one second where she just got like the hood and the everything on and cause mm. the, the like jacket. And she tries to talk to Adrian and he's like, huh? Yeah. And then she takes everything off. I don't know if there's anything to be said about that, but it is, it's the only time when she actually is masked and you yeah. can't hear a word she says and there's just nothing that gets out. So That's true. I totally forgot about that because I have only seen the show once. That's a right. really good point. Yeah, so she is masked. I, I, I present that without comment. That could just be a coincidence. <laughs> I don't know what to make of it, but maybe it has something to do with out of everyone is so um they they stress the importance of a mask to improve your effectiveness that she is somehow the only person who when her face is covered up is ineffective yeah and i'm reading too much into this so no you know, it's hey, a what good are you gonna point do? and maybe the next three times i watch this show i'll pick up on something <laughs> <laughs> we watch it yeah um oh but so that's i mean i i guess i I've made this clear, but I, I did, I rewatched the whole series this past week in anticipation of this, nice. um, because I, I had seen it a couple of months ago for the first time and loved it. And I rewatched it again. And I had this idea in my head that like, okay, I'm going to watch this from the beginning and knowing what happens at the end, it's going to be cool to see all the pieces and like how it's all set up and everything. And then like halfway through the first episode, I was like, wait a minute, this this is so convoluted. I don't remember who's on whose side. I don't remember anything. So I basically mm -hmm. just got to watch it for the first time again. Mm -hmm. And that was a lot of fun. But yeah, so now I do have, I've got a lot of the, the details fresh in my memory, which is a nice, nice, a nice thing. There are so many things I picked up on the second time as well. Like every time Lori mentions Dr. Manhattan and she's around Angela, she always goes like, well, he was no Cal. And then, and then yeah, Angela's yeah. like, what'd you just say? And obviously on the second time around, you're like, oh, snap, they, Dr. Manhattan is Cal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it was great to 
have read the graphic novel and then watched the show because there are so many direct references. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, they did that so well. The weaving of small details that they sort of exasp... Wait, what's the word? Um, Exaggerated, maybe, for the show to the best extent. I think they just... They used everything that they could out of the graphic novel to create this like totally new thing that felt organic because it felt like they treated things from the graphic novel as like a cause yeah. and mm-hmm. everything from the show kind of worked backward to like connect those things as a, an organic effect. Exactly. Yeah. And they tied in obviously the real world mm-hmm. events like the Tulsa massacre and of course racism mm-hmm. today. Yeah. So this is a good opportunity to talk about the ties to the graphic novel. We can go episode by episode. So sure. Michael, I wanted to know, starting with episode six, because we covered episodes one through five, the previous episode, we can talk about the decision to make Hooded Justice a black character and make him Will Reeves. And he wears the mask, not because it's cool or like to become a superhero, but he's literally hiding his identity so it's like not really a change because it's like oh he could have justice always could have been black but according to damon lindelof he went into the show with that mission statement to make Mm -hmm. Hooded justice a black character so i wanted to know what you thought about episode six so i again in this world of like reboots and sequels and whatever's I am very frustrated by sloppily done retcons mm. um, when suddenly they just tell you like, oh, well, this was this way the whole time and you didn't notice. Um, yeah. And so I kind of I was skimming through the, the graphic novel again. And I after rewatching the show, I'm kind of impressed. Like it checks out, basically. There, there mm. are like a couple of like tiny, tiny little inconsistencies. But like, I believe it that, you know, mm-hmm. Hooded Justice is Will Reeve and... Uh, it's not like it like blatantly contradicts anything. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm always impressed by by a twist that you can like scrutinize and it it pans out. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, it definitely it does a lot more for the character. It gives a lot more motivation, a lot more um, cause. Um, I, I have written in my notes here that it is a 95 percent perfect retcon. Uh, mm. And I'm going to say the the 5% that it doesn't work with is one of my favorite little Easter eggs in the graphic novel. I don't know if if you guys know about this or the listeners. If you go to chapter one, the graphic novel, I think it's page 25. I'm going to hold up my book here and check. When uh, when Dan and Lori are going out to eat, uh, I'm going to hold this up for for you guys. I don't know. And I'll take a screenshot. Wait, hold it down a little bit so we can see your face. In the... Oh. Oh, I don't know if we can get... I don't, get I don't know if we're going to be able to get all of this. I got it. This is, got this is it. great. Great television, by the way. Um, <laughs> great do radio. You, do you see this nice this nice couple up here in the uh, foreground? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Assuming Hooded Justice isn't Will Reeves, it just looks exactly like Captain Metropolis and Hooded Justice as oh. when when he was like a German guy. And so that's it's just like a tiny little nod that like, oh yeah, they both retired and they're they're a couple and they're like off living their lives and they're safe. Which I think is just, it's such a nice little, that's just a little thing. And it doesn't impact anything and it doesn't touch on anything. But I just thought, and the fact that it's literally, it's in the foreground. It's not like they put them in the background and they just shove it right in front of your face. And at that point in the book, you don't know any of these characters. So what what difference does it make? Mm -hmm. So if it weren't for the fact that I think that's the coolest Easter egg and it's the only thing that doesn't work is... uh, just a just a tiny bit frustrating. 
But right. I think That's, I think yeah. the 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 good that it does for the character far far outweighs that. Yeah. That's one of those things like as a book reader, you know, you've read the book so many times and you're like, oh, but this was just so good. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I totally understand that. Yeah. Exactly. But, um, yeah, no, it just it ties in so much the theme of broken people hiding behind masks, right. which is something that in the show they really confirm that when Will Reeves says you know, I thought I was wearing the mask out of anger, but really it was out of fear. It's like he, Will Reeves was alone in New York with the Minutemen, you know, literally not helping out, even though they said mm-hmm. they would. And he was angry, justifiably so, but more scared knowing that if he actually didn't become a vigilante, if he didn't destroy Cyclops, then they would eventually get to him. So mm-hmm. I thought that was a theme that really tracked from both the graphic novel to the show is just how sometimes masks are more of a last minute defense mechanism, mm-hmm. if you could say. It it as Will Reeves' son said, like masks make men bad, not because their men are inherently bad, but now they have just an avenue to completely unload all right. their anger. Mm-hmm. If that makes any sense. Yeah. I'm also really happy that in the episode where we focused on episode six, I talked about how with the masks, like when Angela masks up, she, again, is justifiably angry. But I think when she meets Will, he makes it really clear that like no one's going to heal. This cycle is just going to keep continuing Mm -hmm. if people feed that anger rather than like healing. And he literally, in the very last episode, Will does say, um, I'm not going to say the line correctly because I don't have it written down, but he says something like, we can't heal with masks, like wounds need air or something mm, like that. It, yeah. And I was like, that so perfectly encapsulates what I was trying to say. It's like such a, it's such a better way of succinctly getting across that idea of like you're saying, like you can unleash this anger that's rooted in fear so much easier if there's no way to identify and prosecute someone. And so like if people could just get rid, and I think it also like, you know, if you take another step back and get that perspective of like racism is a mask and we think about the symbols that protect the identity of the clan and Cyclops and Mm -hmm. Rorschach, like by taking off those, you know, metaphorical or proverbial masks and understanding like, why am I putting up this front? Like, why am I scared of minorities or people who don't look like me? that's when we'll be able to like move past the flaws that Mm -hmm. incite violence toward other people. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So I have a a question to pose to the two of you then. Um, Well, a guest posing. (laughs) Wait a second. I'm not ready for this. Go ahead. (laughs) So, I mean, this is my, my opinion of what the point of Watchmen is, is to say that superheroes are stupid and pointless. Yeah. What does it mean for the franchise, let's say, that you get a character like Hooded Justice who all of a sudden is very justified and just correct. And his exploits have value and meaning. Because that was one thing that was a little bit of a, a disconnect for me, that like the whole point seemed to be, and this is Laurie's whole story arc in the, the series, is that like mm-hmm. if you're wearing a mask and running around, you're a self-absorbed, useless idiot. Yeah. But now you get a guy like Hooded Justice that, oh, he's like fighting an absolute 
<laughs> and very obvious evil. That's uh, good. Good on you. We're we're proud of you. Where do you think that fits in with this world? Is that a problem? Yeah, that's a very interesting question, a very challenging one too. I think I had mentioned um, Inglorious Bastards in the previous episode of how that is so cathartic and satisfying mm -hmm. to see Nazis being killed like that because it's one of the few times where you can like fully justify what right. the the glorious bastards are doing you're fully 100 on their side and cheer for the violence yeah this i think the show it certainly walks a line but i think they do a good enough job to make the case that this was hooded justice's only option to go on mm -hmm. those rampages the show has its cake and and you could eats, eats it too <laughs> because yes will reeves is acting out of anger and ultimately says that you know the mask is hiding that fear he had but at the same time he was put in a position where that was his only course of, of action for his his own survival so that that's why i think the show has its cake and eats it too because mm -hmm. you are both with him but also recognized how that won't satisfy his trauma like and how like mm -hmm. it led to him being 106 and still this you know vengeful uh broken man right yeah 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 i agree i think it i was trying to like listen and figure out my opinion as well but <laughs> yeah i think that it goes back to a lot of the code switching that we talked about in the last episode. Michael, I know you haven't listened to that because you haven't put it out yet, but we talked a little bit about how when you signal, when you use a, a sign or a signal, other groups of people will receive it differently or decode it mm -hmm. differently. And I think like Danny was saying, he felt like that was his only option because it would signal to other people that this is a safe, good person. And he talks about that too in the last episode where he talks about how the black sheriff of Oklahoma mm -hmm. used his cloak and mask to almost get over the first people's first reaction of seeing like this great sheriff doing these great things. And then they kind of couldn't go back and say like, Oh, well that's a black person though. So those things mm -hmm. aren't good. I think like, yeah, it's just that, level of code switching yeah i feel like he was able to signal to other people that he was a safe person by using a code that they would receive as this is a safe good mm -hmm. um, yeah. thing yeah. <laughs> person it's a it's like two two different discussions it's the morality of his actions within the context of the show and then the usefulness of his role to the themes of the show. I don't know if that, if yeah. I'm making any sense here. Cause in, in my head, I see Watchmen as such uh, conflicting ideologies constantly. And you can't like make heads or tails of who's explicitly correct. Mm -hmm. And so, cause you know, you, you get Adrian's plan and is it justified? And Dr. Manhattan, he's, better than humanity but should he care and i don't know it just it's so many like big personalities and big sets of opinions that conflict with each other and no one really gains the upper hand 
that's left up to your determination. Mm -hmm. Um, so, I mean, maybe I'm just restating myself, but I don't know. You, you see someone like Hooded Justice and you root for him. That's it. You, you just, you can unabashedly root for him to the point where like when he, uh, gets really nervous that his son starts dressing up as him and doesn't want him to follow in his footsteps and like kind of attacks him and starts to wipe the stuff off. Uh, when his wife starts freaking out about that and starts saying like, you know, you've become a monster. You're, uh, you should have never put on that mask. It's like, well, first of all, you told you, you said, yeah, mm -hmm. you know, you're, the only way you're going to get justice is with that mask. It's like, okay, well, you told me to do this and now you don't want me to. But also like, I don't know. I thought I was doing some pretty good work up until now. Where, where's this all of a sudden we don't like this. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. That was just something that it felt a little too sudden in an episode that was really taking its time with like exploring imagery and plot and everything that just felt very tacked on where it could have been more stressed as the, the, the conflict of the episode um, mm. to make it so that he's not an entirely, actually this segues into my other issue with the episode. I hope this is translating to a coherent thought. I know this is, this is like six rambling sentences at once. <laughs> no, um, keep going. I, I have written here the, my two problems with abruptness uh, one of them is that, like I said, his his supportive and uh, encouraging wife all of a sudden just turns on him and says, you know, I'm taking the kids and going to Tulsa just yeah. for no reason. And then the other thing is they meet uh, Nelson Gardner. They meet Captain Metropolis. They talk to him for like five minutes. They think he's an idiot and then just smash cut to, well, them smashing and, you know, uh, <laughs> smash cut to smashing and it's like, oh, okay, whoa. So he not only just will just cheat on his wife, mm -hmm. that never, we didn't expect that. And also he's gay. And like, th like th things that could have been woven into the story leading up until then uh, and served as like nice conflicts and, and mm. things that sort of, mu I mean, not that being gay muddies his whatever, but I mean, just, just the idea that he's this truly noble hero that's fighting racism single-handedly amidst all of these conflicts that they're not really addressing enough, that they just kind of like cut to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, know. that's, that's make, interesting. Make sense I, of that. <laughs> I didn't even think about how they didn't develop his queer side, actually. Because I think that does not, like you said, it, it doesn't necessarily muddy his character, but I it does almost seem like an afterthought. Like they never go back to it. Do they? Like, it's just really no. that one. No. Yeah. And it seems like that was almost a dropped. I mean, an argument could hmm. be made that they're almost normalizing it. Like, That's you know, true, it, yeah. it doesn't matter what his sexuality yeah. is, but I think what you're kind of getting at Michael is that the writing is so layered that mm -hmm. even nine episodes is not right. enough time mm -hmm. so this is almost an embarrassment of riches where they set up all these different avenues for will reeves's character but they just he only have got an one episode. he got right. one episode which mm -hmm. is we stated like one of our favorites it's my favorite episode yeah i think clearly the mo best directed probably and just from a technical standpoint but yeah i i, I totally see your point there and that um, that strikes me as one of the few cases of, okay, we have this character Hooded Justice from the graphic novel, and he and Captain Metropolis are a thing. So we just got to get that in the show. We just got to put it in because that's how it's supposed to be. And it felt like the least like thought through. Um, yeah. 
and and the shame is you could do something with that. You really could mm-hmm. have added that in. Um, if you want to make him a more complex character, you know, add in the fact that, okay, yes, he's hyper-violent and impulsive, and he is adulterous, and, you know, he's trying to struggle with his own identity, and it's like, got it, put that in. That's great. Yeah. Mm. You know, give give the viewer something to, like, debate in your head about his morals rather than just fighting crime. Mm. Yeah. Like, another thought that's kind of coming to me as we talk about this is, like, it kind of goes to, well... I don't know. I feel like I've been I've been so interested in what you both have saying are saying. I my thoughts have just been jumping around too much. So oh, stop. This is this is classic Laura. She goes, oh, I don't know if I have a fully formed thought, and then just goes on this whole eloquent, list of like yeah. eloquent, perfect, hard hitting points. That's 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 Laura in a nutshell. Um, but no, it, it's just it's it's a really good. It's something that I definitely didn't think about. Yeah. It's really hard to judge Will Reeves's motivations because it's so hard to say that he's not justified to be hyperviolent. Mm-hmm. Like he did go through this trauma, multiple traumas, like his wife leaving, his parents being murdered, his entire town being wiped out, having to take care of a baby when he's mm-hmm. like six years old, like, you know, the trauma of becoming a police officer and not being accepted and in fact being lynched. (laughs) I guess maybe what I'm saying is it's almost apples and oranges because with the other masked heroes, I think the criticism is that sure, they want to fight crime, but they're all flawed and they're not that justified. Yeah. Like they don't have like Rorschach in the book really bothered me because I was like, this kid was abused but he's acting out and he's judging society rather than healing. And he's right. making a decision to be violent and be this, like, what he thinks is, like, the judgment for humanity. And that, like, that to me, it was just, like, another white guy who thinks he's, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, above everyone else. And I, I was, like, I just, I get that in that there's a criticism. But I, I think that's what is making it hard for me to, like, compare the motivations and like come down on will reeves because his anger is so justified right and -hmm. it takes him so long to you know make that change and realizing like i can't help society move on by perpetuating the violence you know it takes him like he said like 106 years to realize that so but he's like he's also the only one who like does realize that other than maybe Lori, but she's kind of coming at it more in like this, like you're such a fucking idiot yeah. <laughs> perspective. So I don't know. I think that's, that's what makes it difficult because yeah. he, he does realize that the violence is the wrong reaction, but it, he just, he, there isn't another outlet. Yeah. 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 I, I think I don't know. we both agree. Anyway. On point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm just point. like no, talking yeah. around the point. Oh, oh stop. Great point. All right, so let's move on to episode seven, titled An Almost Religious Awe. Also known as the CGI Animal Spectacular. Hell yeah. (laughs) That elephant really threw me for a loop. Mm -hmm. This is the elephant one. Yeah, directed. Yep. I'm sorry. Yeah. (laughs) Directed by David Semmel and written by Stacey Asai Kufour and Claire. Keichel. I hope I'm uh, pronouncing those names. Sure. Yeah, this is the first episode not 
written by Lindelof. It's a two female writers for this one. And yeah, so yeah, episode seven, the CGI animal episode, and also kind of Sister Knight's Angela Abar's uh, backstory episode, Mm -hmm. because she's coming off the nostalgia, starting to experience her own memories. And yeah, we learn that her parents were killed in Vietnam and she blames Dr. Manhattan for that because Dr. Manhattan won Vietnam for America. So yeah, this is the really the Sister Knight centered episode. Mm-hmm. And Michael, I know you had some thoughts on, on the characters, so let's I, hear them. I do. So there was something about Sister Knight's character that was uh, frustrating me a little bit, and I couldn't quite place it until this episode. Regina King does an amazing job. The, the performance is so good, but there was something just a little frustrating. And uh, Laura, you had mentioned something at the beginning we were talking about that actually like solves this problem in a, in a story way. Um, can you, can either of you think of anything that Sister Knight does that actually affects anything in the story? Because... Mm. The, the whole time, and I, I realized what was frustrating me was that any time you would see a scene with her, she's just getting carted along. All of these, like, plans and machinations are happening around her, and she has no agency. And, and what did it for me with this episode is that you get hit with, like, an amazing one-two punch straight away, where, like, the first thing that happens is she's, uh, as a little kid in the flashback, she buys, she tries to buy the, the Sister Knight tape and the, the cashier is like, oh, well, they're not going to let you buy that. Mm-hmm. And she's she's all tough and like, I'm going to buy it anyway. You'll see. And then immediately her parents are like, no, you can't buy that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, well, great. Nothing was accomplished there. <laughs> she eventually gets it, but only because her parents get killed. Mm-hmm. And so like, it's totally out of her hands that she gets it. So that was one thing. And then immediately after she she wakes up, and she's talking to Lady True, and Lady True, she, I forget, she like injects her with something, and she and Angela freaks out and is like, "Don't you do that to me again," which is like, "Yeah, nice, good, tough, mm-hmm. like very cool." And Lady True is like, "Yeah, you told me that last time," and then just does right. it again and knocks her out. It's like, oh, okay, well, <laughs> what what is the point of this character? She can't get anything done, and she's like tough and intimidating the entire time, but like. <sighs> nothing happens um and that that is what frustrated me it's that i want to see her do cool stuff because she's a very cool character Mm -hmm. but the whole time it's just just like screaming into the void interesting i i I need to watch the show again yeah (laughs) because right off the bat i mean i love her character so much when she in the first episode who does she beat up Right? Doesn't she take yeah. that one Calvary member? Yeah, she she goes to Nixonville, gets that one Calvary mm-hmm. member, and gets to the location where they're all taking the batteries, the lithium right. batteries out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so she takes out that. Yeah, and it, and it could branch. be argued that she set up the whole thing by that arrival like twist. Uh, mm-hmm. But but that comes at the fin- the finale. So right, and it's also an accident. And that's the thing, because yeah. when that happened, I was like, oh, so in almost like a, like, they're making fun of me kind of way, they're like, oh, you don't think she does anything? Now she does everything. She yep. compl- She literally causes the entire plot 
by telling Will Reeves to do the thing that he does that sparks the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Um, It makes me think about her motives behind hiding Dr. Manhattan for 10 years. Mm -hmm. And she is the one, like her decision to have to break Cal's head open with a hammer Mm -hmm. was like heartbreaking to me. But at the same time, like her strength to be able to do that and like not even shed a tear until the very end when he kind of ends up exploding. That was like, oh my God. And even, you know, Danny and I were talking about it after and we were talking about like, if you were given that choice of like, here you have two options. You can either spend 10 wonderful years with a partner who is perfect for you, but you know it's going to end in tragedy or you can walk away now. My answer would be I'm walking. Like, I don't want that. I don't want that Mm -hmm. clock. I don't want that timeline. I don't want that trauma. Like, and so, but it it is interesting because she does make that decision and it makes you wonder, like, was her motive to hide Dr. Manhattan or like, because she was angry at him. Like, she did blame him for their, her parents' death, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, Yes, at first, initially, but she grew to uh-huh. deeply but care for him. Yeah. I know, but she she grew to love Cal, like his persona, sort of. But she loved him before Cal because she put the uh, sure. Yeah, but no, but I'm just I'm just like she's an interesting character, yeah. so I'm just like reviewing her like motives and actions and stuff yeah. in general. Yeah. No. Boom, uh, Michael. Uh, that is a great point. And honestly, I don't have a response. I think she is Perfect. strung. So along. I'm going chi- to chime in with more examples then, because I've been thinking of more as we. Uh, uh, <laughs> so, all right, you've got your. Well, let's let's stick with the, the episode we're talking about. Uh, the end of the episode where she gets out of bed and she follows her tube. This is Sister Night we're talking about. She follows the tube to Will Reeves' room because she knows that she's connected to him and she's banging on the door and she's very heroically saying like, open up, let me in. This is an amazing moment for her. She smashes the thing and she goes in and it's an elephant. And it's like, okay, well, (laughs) what was the point of any of that? Uh, And then, and then, I think this is the next episode, if you don't mind me jumping quick, um, Mm -hmm. you get the scene where she tells Dr. Manhattan that the bad guys are outside and they're going to kill him. And same deal. She arms up. She's ready. She's going to do the big heroic thing. And Dr. Manhattan just like looks over and is like, huh, I'm falling in love with you. And it's like, oh, what a nice little moment. And this is like a great character thing. But then she goes out and heroically fights them off and then immediately can't fight them all. So Dr. Manhattan just shows up and solves the problem and then gets killed anyway or gets transported anyway because that was what was supposed to happen. Mm -hmm. So it's like the only point of any of her heroics was because of the predetermined nature of this is when Dr. Manhattan's supposed to fall in love with her. And she had no impact on fighting off the cavalry because Dr. Manhattan was just going to do it anyway. So it's just, it's just constantly, there are all these scenes where it's like, you're setting her up to be the hero and she just, the, it, the story like contorts itself to make her not the hero. And it can only happen so many times where it's just like, what, do you think there's any reason for that? Or like, cause it, now that you outline some of those situations, I see that there does seem to be a pattern. And I'm wondering if that's just a flaw in the character development or if there is 
a reason. Well, you accidentally or unknowingly solved it. Because what is the perfect character resolution to a character who affects no change and has no power? Make her god. Mm -hmm. Just completely give her all the power in the universe. So if she if she eats that egg and becomes god, now she's going to start making some change and affecting the world around her. It's like she's mm -hmm. been getting pushed around this entire series. Mm -hmm. Now she's got, what is it, Cart Cart Blanche? Cart Blanche, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> let her let her have a freaking party. That's that's like a perfect resolution. That um, yeah. is true. And that's, and for me at least, I believe the show does make a case for why she deserves to mm -hmm. become um, mm -hmm. Dr. Manhattan. Yeah, I think it's, it's what is it? The Indiana Jones uh, syndrome where... Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Ra yeah, Raiders of the Lost Ark has the same thing where Indiana Jones actually doesn't do anything in that movie and problems get solved around him like hmm. they the Nazis open up the yeah that's the this arm. is such an interesting question to me because I've never heard of the Indiana Jones syndrome but well, now I feel like I'm going to notice it in storylines right but the Indiana Jones syndrome actually there's a movie before it where that kind of also coined what we're talking about one of our favorite little franchises james bond uh okay <laughs> i was just going i was literally just gonna say james bond does nothing in the novels so, everything happens to him well that's my personal favorite i mean this is kind of everyone's personal favorite bond but goldfinger that movie is mm -hmm. kind of the same way he mm -hmm. james bond if you really sit down and write down the plot points james bond doesn't really do anything until the end i think when he fights off odd job but mm -hmm. yeah the, the same thing applies there but yeah no boom you brought up a great point where regina king is just, we mentioned this before she's just just the best and oh, yeah. like the best line of the entire series is episode one when she has i have a nose for racism and he smells like bleach and you're just like <laughs> yes. oh, oh, hell white yeah. supremacy she yeah. has. She says, oh, yeah, "I have yeah. a nose for white supremacy, or oh, like gotcha. white." Yeah, yeah. I, I messed up the like line. Bleach. My favorite line. I messed up, but yeah, that's. <laughs> but yeah, that's what I'm getting at. Yeah, I. Mm -hmm. You have a good point. Thanks for ruining the show for me. Okay, hey, on what to can I episode say? eight. Uh, <laughs> no, well, this is. Oh, go, sorry. Finish with that. Um, well, I was gonna say it's. I. I feel like I should put a disclaimer that like I feel like all I'm doing is bashing it and saying why the show isn't bad. Uh, I like. I loved it. I had so much fun watching it, and this is this is what I mean that like I'm I'm so I'm having so much fun like picking apart the pieces and seeing what works and what doesn't, knowing that the show is good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you yeah. know this this is all just like I don't know. It's it's like it got a ninety six on a test, and it's like ah, oh, where are those four points off? What, what yeah. uh, you know, it's it's interesting to to examine that. Um, I agree, and I also think that I'm going to be thinking about this. This is something I like about doing the podcast. I feel like we talk about stuff and we discover what each other thinks about things or what a guest mm -hmm. thinks about things. And then I want to go back and dis dissect everything again and then do another podcast episode after that. Cause yeah. this is something that I'm really going to be thinking about. And now that I have that idea in my head about the Indiana Jones syndrome, like mm -hmm. I feel like it's going to jump out at me and maybe again, like Maybe in some pieces it works for the character and it says something, but sometimes it it doesn't. It's just a flaw. Yeah. Well, that's that's what I was gonna say. If you if you wanted to take the angle that, you know, oh look at this very sympathetic character who is trying so hard 
but just is getting pushed around by the grander plans happening around him. That's your Looking Glass episode. Yeah. I mean, that's that's that character done perfectly. Yeah. But you'll notice he's not the main character of the series. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a perfect like character arc for a kind of supporting role. So that's why I just think it's frustrating that they do the same thing to Sister Knight. Yeah. where you want her to be kicking ass and making changes. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But but like you said, Laura, it's 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 fun to listen to other people's opinions because I I walked away from the show not liking her character because of this. But with what you said about what, we, what you were saying about her eating the egg, mm-hmm. it's now made me think of her as a very fascinating character that like that kind of solved the problem that I had and made it something interesting rather than a detriment. Yeah. yeah. I guess the the big point I'm trying to get to in this podcast is it's nice to talk to people. Yeah. <laughs> nice to talk, hear each other's opinions. Um, yeah. And you had mentioned episode five. Uh, that was my personal favorite episode. Uh, do yeah. you have a personal favorite? I mean, I, so much happens in the finale that I feel like you're kind of obligated to like it. But episode five, in terms of like a standalone episode, oh, amazing absolute yeah. top notch i it probably would be my favorite yeah mm-hmm. um, that's really interesting uh the what you said about the finale because i actually not that i felt let down by the last two episodes but i almost felt like the craft of the puzzle mm-hmm. was so fun as a first viewer that mm-hmm. i everything made sense by the end Right. And I'm not saying that I wanted more, but watching everything come together was really fun until the last two episodes where I was like, I knew things were winding down and I knew they right. were going to have to start tying up little strings. And I was just like, it's great. I think the more I think about it, it's great. But I was just so sad <laughs> the last two episodes yeah, that it yeah. was ending that I, I didn't have as much fun watching it. Yeah. Well, let, let's get to that. So before we get to episode eight, I got to ask, did you see the Dr. Manhattan twist coming the first time? Uh, no, no, not at all. Absolutely mm-hmm. not at all. That was that was pretty wild. And the, the shock of its reveal cushioned my complete disagreement with every character decision they made with Dr. Manhattan. Uh, mm, so I, I just thought it was so I, what a cool twist yeah. that he was there all along. Um, mm-hmm. And again, like I said, with with uh, Hooded Justice. I'm so big a fan of twists that check out. Mm-hmm. And like we were saying, when you go back and watch the series, every time someone talks to Angela about Dr. Manhattan or Cal, her like ears perk up and she's like instantly suspicious. You don't notice it on the first viewing. Yeah. No, but, I did not. But yeah, the second time you see how standoffish Angela is yeah. about that stuff. And yeah, I was just and, sitting next to Laura being like, oh boy. Oh, yeah. It's coming. Yeah. Uh, the, and the slow reveal of how Lady True is kind of, she's framed in a way where the light is on her face and she mm-hmm. looks super ominous and you're just like, oh man, something's coming. Yep. So, uh, yeah. yeah, no, I, I loved that. That was a that was a very cool reveal. I'm a huge fan of that actor, Yahya Abdul-Mateen II. He's great in everything I've seen him in. Uh, he was great in this small part in uh, Trial of the Chicago 7 He's been in other you know, little roles. He had a small role in Us, Jordan Peele's Us. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he's just a, a, a great actor. He won an Emmy for his role as Cal and Dr. Manhattan. So let's, yeah. let's segue into mm-hmm. episode eight. I also love this episode because 
my favorite part of the graphic novel was Dr. Manhattan's chapter when he's yeah. talking to Lori and you're reading the novel as Dr. Manhattan is experiencing time. So simultaneous all at once. I'm um, sorry to the listeners hearing a dog she's in the background. She's tugging on me. I'm where, sorry. She's where, like, yeah, we're playing she's a tug just of war. starting to come out of her like nap time and she's starting to yeah, like so get a little That'll fancy, be in the background. Sorry. But that's something that I think where the movie not necessarily dropped the ball, but the movie didn't really attempt to show how Dr. Manhattan views time. Like they have him say that he views it simultaneously. And then they mm-hmm. do those couple of scenes where Dr. Manhattan like zaps Lori and she views like certain right. instances in her past, but it's not really the whole simultaneous bit that yeah. I thought is just so thought provoking, intriguing. It's like, and this goes back to sister Knight's decision to be with Cal for 10 years. You know, the reason we love Arrival so much, that movie is that like crazy reveal at the end, which is the future self feeding yeah. the past self info. And it's like, and then at the same time, she also knows that she's going to have a daughter. And it's mm-hmm. like, dude. She made the decision to have the daughter yeah. knowing there would be a tragedy. Right. So I, it's just, it's this right for the, it, it's a different form of storytelling, which is why episode eight, is so unique and then i just mm-hmm. love the structure of it going back and forth to that uh, mm-hmm. uh bar conversation and yeah the episode is titled a god walks into a bar and so oh, smart yeah, so clever <laughs> yeah directed by nicole castle she directed the first two episodes uh, she was nominated for this episode as well and written by damon lindelof and jeff jensen so yeah great episode so okay michael you have some thoughts on how the show handled Dr. Manhattan. Let's hear them. I have some thoughts. So the first thing uh, I was thinking about with the title, when you get like little cute references like that, what what do you think comes first? Do you think they they came up with the name of the episode and were like, well, I guess we got to call her Angela Abar. So, okay, interesting, because we were looking up fun facts about the show Mm -hmm. and there was something that I felt like was such a weird coincidence that it had to be a coincidence. It couldn't have been planned almost like there's a, they were making a comment about when Lori takes out her Dr. Manhattan dildo. Yes. I was going to talk and about this. Yeah. It's X Cal a bar and it Excalibur. comes together to spell Excalibur. And I was like, that has to be a total coincidence. Cause I can't imagine that they would name a character Cal just so they can call a dildo Excalibur. <laughs> right. Like that seems, and and actually two characters, because it would be Angela Abar, right. which isn't even Cal's, no, I guess it is. Mm. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just That to me was just like, what? I, I don't think it's a coincidence at all. I think it's an intentional nod because when you hear Excalibur, yeah. you don't think like Cal Abar, but mm-hmm. it's just another nod. I guess, but like the dead guy that he took the form of, his name was Cal Eight, right? So like, no, they didn't. Is, they didn't just la- come is, up with the that dead name. guy though. Wasn't his last name was an Abar though? So they just like came up with that. I don't know. I I think it's a coincidence, purely coincidence. But that's just my opinion. Agree to disagree, <laughs> and also you're wrong. Well, uh, but Michael, <laughs> what what do you think? Um, was the dildo planned or not? <laughs> I. <laughs> 
Oh, that reminds me of the other uh, very insignificant. I was going to make this joke at the beginning, but I was going to say, I hope you're ready for an hour and a half long debate over whether or not the Dr. Manhattan egg could be cooked before you eat it. Uh, oh, mm hmm. Would that would that tamper with the powers? Because I mean, I don't know. I would have cooked it. I don't think I would see an egg and be like, "That's going in me." Suck it That's, down. I'm just I'm eating that straight yeah. away. Only yeah. in a cast iron pan. I think that's my theory. Well, sure. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I mean, we're not idiots. Yeah. It's uh, you got to retain that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yes. Yeah, so back to the more important issue of the dildo. Um, <laughs> it it's an interesting thing to think about. Just how like unimportant a name is to a character because like for that joke to work the character the the like for uh, a god walks into a bar that expression has to be the, the expression and the character's name has to be a bar mm-hmm. and does her name being a bar matter in any other context like does it have anything to do with the rest of the series it could have been yeah. anything yeah, yeah. So part of me thinks that like oh, they made the joke first, and I don't know maybe maybe they made the Excalibur joke first, and then we're like okay, well it's got to be a bar. Oh, God mm-hmm. walks into a bar, and then they made that. But like in my head, the the joke is the more complicated aspect of it. Yeah. Whereas the name could just be anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This has nothing to do with <laughs> the show, of course, but <laughs> I just think it's a fun thing to think about. No, yeah. it it really is. It totally is, and it's actually it's. The thing I thought was interesting about choosing an egg as the vessel for mm-hmm. the power is that whole question about the chicken and the egg, what came first. Yeah. Um, and so it kind of extends to that too. And it also extends to like, you know, he talked about how he can create life and, you know, Aww. so I think like that was kind of a natural way of, okay, I'm sorry. The dog is really like, you might need to get created. I'm sorry, but you're really distracting me. Um, Does the dog have any insight on the... Did the um, dog watch the show? She did watch the last episode with us, so she might have some. Her name is Kaya, um, by the way. She's very cute, but she's really getting a little... Anyway, um, we're talking about eggs, but... (laughs) I've been Yeah, I don't think I have anything. Oh, I love love poached eggs. eggs. I got a little poacher for uh, Christmas. Is my secret Santa gift. Uh, oh, nice. I poach him the old-fashioned yeah. way, but mm. right by from my cousin Scott. Shout out Scott Gaylord. All right, um, all right, back on track. I don't so, think so I have it, anything so further. Yeah, but, yeah are, I don't think I have anything yeah, further. Yeah. So than that. thoughts on uh, on Doc Manhattan and how the show continued his yeah. character. So basically, it it he. This is a great example of how I think the show kind of mishandles the characters from the graphic novel. And again, I'm fully prepared to be wrong on this. And it could just be the fact that I want everyone to be exactly the same way that they were in the comics. And (laughs) in my head, no one can change in 30 years. Um, But so to me, it struck me that at the end of the graphic novel, Dr. Manhattan is just like, all right, peace out. I'm done with you humans. You know, Mm -hmm. all of your petty squabbles are, are silly to me. I think he got a good chuckle out of Adrian's like moral checkmate that like, you can't mm-hmm. tell anybody about these three million. And, you know, he, he even tells him at one point, he's like, hey, thanks. Uh, I forgot what it was like to be uncertain uh, yeah. with all the tachyon particles. Yeah. And then after that, he's like, all right, I'm going to go create some life. Goodbye. So for him to then just suddenly, like, come back and be like, Angela, I love you. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. like, well, why? You, you were barely in love with Silk Spectre by the end. 
mm-hmm. and you were so apathetic, but now just like suddenly you decide to come back. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So I anticipated this actually. Good. Uh, you asking this, but I have to say I'm also in a checkmate because I was thinking I'm like, well, Doctor Manhattan came back because every thirty years things reset and there's a new problem that mm. people need to save the world. But then I remember, oh yeah, the Seventh Calvary's whole plan was to kidnap Dr. Manhattan so they can take over the world. And then of course, Lady True was secretly puppeting them yeah. so she could become it. So I'm like, really Dr. Manhattan created the problem by coming back to right. Mm. so that's kind of where i'm like it's also a chicken and the egg kind Mm. of situation where by creating life on europa he eventually abandons that life because the people there are not complicated they live to serve but they have no real purpose no doubt no identity it's like the garden of eden but before sin and I think for Dr. Manhattan, more or less basically says he got bored, just like Adrian Veidt mm-hmm. got mm-hmm. bored. So again, I might be reaching because I love the show. Just mm-hmm. I just love it so much. But I feel like he came to an understanding that he needed to go back to Earth because he, he was seeking out that meaning and he he was remembering humanity well remembering in the way that he does mm-hmm. and um he also had that understanding that humanity regardless if he's there or not will reset every so often mm-hmm. just the ironic part is that his presence on earth is actually what started right. the whole conflict so it's kind of like he was there to save humanity again but also that's what caused the whole plan to erupt in the first place which to be fair he'd probably get a kick out of that like yeah. he probably went along with it willingly just because like huh ain't this a pickle well the other thing that i thought of while you were talking was that if he knows that he can't see past a certain 10 year mark he might have a feeling that that's his end like he he's obviously like all-knowing and so i think it's a pretty good guess that if you can't see anything past a certain point it's probably your end so he doesn't actually have anything to lose if he's bored and he realizes like there's this x time period Mm -hmm. that I'm probably going to be done. Like I can go back and have a normal life for a little while, even Mm -hmm. because he, he kind of has that knowledge too, that like he had a few relationships. He probably misses that. And -hmm. if he can have that again and also possibly, I don't know, bring about some good or bring someone happiness. Like that was interesting enough for him to say, I'm just going to like live the last 10 years of my life as a human. Yeah, and it's very Zeus-like, which Angela even brings yes, up yeah. in this episode. He's yep. like, what are you, coming down, being yeah. like some animal and have relations mm-hmm. with a human? Yeah. It's like, oh yeah, very Zeus-like. But that's the thrilling thing about his character is that he, since he views time all at once, he is always dying. He mm-hmm. is always right. with Angela. He is always a little boy. Mm-hmm. So just like wrapping your brain around that is just like, Oh my god, like I can't even comprehend that. Mm-hmm. And so the, that's that's kind of the, the tricky thing with making a sequel to something like Watchmen, mm-hmm. is that like I see it as like a fable, and it's it's mm-hmm. all these characters and all these ideas that like 
if you think about it too much, it starts mm. to fall apart. And so I'll use that as an example. Just the idea of like that loop of he knows his time is limited, but he has no choice but to do it. So why does he do it anyway? Mm -hmm. If he's all powerful, shouldn't he be able to change that? Right. Um, but I feel like that that kind of also ties into the idea that you get this wonderful chapter in the graphic novel where he's flipping back and forth between the past and the future. He's on Mars and he's discussing everything. And obviously it's because the show didn't come out yet. But if he's perceiving all time at once, like, why doesn't he mention Angela? Why doesn't he mention mm. uh, anything that happens in the future? So, you know, the answer is obvious, but it's a little frustrating that it, it doesn't mm. quite. So that's that's kind of the problem with just him as a character in general, trying to, like, understand him, mm. is that he's so omnipotent and so all-knowing that do those mean the same thing? Omnipotent and all-knowing? Yeah. Well, anyway, yeah. Um, omniscient. Omniscient. That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. Um, he, uh, that, like, the character is so confusing and contradictory and, like, just put him in one story and don't talk about him again because he's too, mm. like... <laughs> leave him on the moon. Or on exactly. Mars. Leave him on Mars. Right. Um, and that, like, in the graphic novel, if he has no other experiences to, like, mention or draw upon, in my head, that tells me he doesn't go back to earth and there's nothing interesting and there's no, there's nothing that can be relevant to what he's thinking about. But I introduce all this other stuff and it's like, Oh yeah. And I met a girl and I fell in love and I was, and I was a different guy for 10 years and, and then I died. Uh, yeah. it, I feel like it just, it, it cheapens it a little bit. And then the fact that the way it all plays out in the show, he kind of gets like played as a chump. He mm -hmm. like, he, I don't know the, the guy who's a billion feet tall crushing Vietnam the idea that like he gets locked in a box by Lady True is a little frustrating. Yeah. Um, and that's the kind of thing where like, yes, you need a conflict and this character is great to do conflict with, but like, it's just, it's choices that I wouldn't have made. I wouldn't have brought Dr. Manhattan involved because he just is better off as an idea rather than a character. Yeah. Mm. And it's so hard to make a sequel right to his character, as you're saying, because Alan Moore basically was like, hey, readers, Dr. Manhattan's God. And if God exists, he won't care about you. Like, It's kind of like, yeah, like heroes. That's right. his it's statement like, about like superheroes. Yeah. Exactly. It's like, if there's someone who created us and is all powerful and all knowing, why would he give a shit about 1985, right. you know, the or, Cold War? Yeah, like, like morality, premarital sex, stuff like that's so exactly. stupid. Like, yeah. why would he fucking care? Yeah, so when you take that God allegory, but then actually orchestrate it so he becomes a character, like a normal human character in Cal, you do sacrifice some mm -hmm. of that metaphor and, and the tight writing yeah. Yeah, that mm -hmm. Alan Moore set up. So yeah, I totally see it. Uh, I'm just going back to my original statement that the show's cool. So the show's cool. I, I love I, it. Yeah. <laughs> well, the interesting thing about Cal too, this might again be completely reading into stuff that isn't there but when i noticed that people continuously made physical comments about cal i started mm -hmm. making connections between like commoditizing a black person's body mm -hmm. and that's what i thought at first when Lori kept saying things and other people kept saying things i was like that is, why does that keep coming up? And so I felt like there was going to be some kind of climax where he would be commodified. Mm -hmm. And so 
I I didn't see Cal's character being Dr. Manhattan until there were a couple times where like that amnesia situation was mentioned. Right. And I was like, Something's up. oh, <laughs> okay. Like he doesn't have a backstory for a reason. And at yeah. first, of course, like I was like, oh, like maybe he's Dr. Manhattan and that's the commodity that they're going to try to get out of him. The mm-hmm. other thing that I noticed was that, which again, like could just be t- a total surface read of the book, mm-hmm. but how Dr. Manhattan is always naked because he just like doesn't have the context for shame. Like he just doesn't experience shame. But with Cal, I thought it changed because of how slaves were very often stripped and abused or stripped and sold. Mm -hmm. And so when he was in the box and he was sitting with his shins under his thighs, Mm -hmm. that to me was very symbolic of a slave trade auction. And there are so many pictures of especially women sitting, like like black women sitting on tables like that and being like abused or like quote unquote scientifically examined. And so when I saw that, I was like, maybe this is, I, again, I would have to watch the show again and also do like a little bit more research to back that claim up. But I just thought it was so interesting that he turned into an, a total commodity And Mm. he ended up being, it was sort of the same thing with Hooded Justice where he was like kind of, it was flipped on its head by, you know, him being essentially a white person who has changed into Dr. Manhattan Mm. versus Dr. Manhattan choosing to come back and be in a black person's body and then ended up being commodified. I just thought like that was sort of an interesting flip, but I don't have a lot of evidence to like. Mm -hmm. We can segue into the episode nine. Anything else to say about episode eight? No, nothing, nothing in particular. Th- things that will probably come up later on. I actually, I realized that I missed something from episode seven, but I think this will this will come back later in the the episode nine discussion. Yeah. Um, All right. So let's move on to episode nine, titled "See How They Fly," directed by Frederick E. O. Toy. Uh, that guy's the showrunner for The Boys on Amazon Prime, <laughs> uh, and then written by Lindelof and Nick. Cues. So, aka the episode where Joe goes blue. <laughs> um, also, the episode where I want to absolutely punch that guy's face. Well, well, you won't be able to. He was uh, turned into a slushy. Yeah, there's oh, nothing better. There is nothing better than seeing Joseph Keen go, "Woo, let's go blue!" And then immediately, <laughs> yeah. he's a slushy. And then the leadership of Cyclops being like. Just decimated. Nothing, nothing. Oh, and also Lori gets the opportunity to pop his heart with her shoe, which I really enjoyed. Oh yeah. When it's like, yeah, very (laughs) Oh, she like stomps on, I think it's his heart. I mean, it's, it's a pile of goose. You really can't tell, but I, I kind of, it it looked like his heart or something like a balloon. Yeah. And she just like, she's like, ew, gross. And like pops it with the heel of her shoe. Yeah. So, but so getting back to the, the point that I had with, uh, uh, hooded justice you take a scene like that where one guy gets totally liquefied and then like a room full of people get totally eradicated is it weird that you're watching a watchman property seeing like that like insane violence and being like nice that's we love that we love to see it like it's it's just so strange to see such a justified sense mm-hmm. of uh 
violence. Like, I feel like every every page of the graphic novel, you see something happen, and it's, like, gut-wrenching. And you're like, I guess that guy had to die, but dear God, why did it have to, like, why did that happen? Rorschach. For yeah, example. Rorschach. Yeah, Everyone he at kills. At the very it's... end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, yeah, and the way he's killed. Yeah, both yeah sides of that yeah so yeah so you you get a scene like that and you you like want to cheer when uh keen keen jr gets totally melted uh and it's just i don't know i that's just something that is so strange to me that as an audience you're like hell yes yeah let's let's kill this guy yeah i i agree because i was just thinking of lady true dying as well and it's like that's a more complicated death because yeah. she's someone who isn't a complete manifestation of ego, basically. Right. But she does she deserve to die? Right, right? Exactly. Like I in in that violent way. It's very important to recognize that she does not get Dr. Manhattan's powers. She yeah. stopped before that. So yeah, Ozzy Mandis is saying, like, it takes one to know one, anyone who dreams of obtaining the power of God should not be able to obtain it. And you agree with him, or at least I did in that moment. But the thing is, we, we don't know right. like what she would have done. Mm-hmm. We can assume to a point, but yeah. And then of course we get kind of a very smaller version of Manhattan 1985 with the frozen squid fall. Like we don't, mm-hmm. I think the show dances around the amount of casualties that that yeah. caused. Mm-hmm. And also something that I was a little disappointed on is Ozymandias is like everyone in the Tulsa area is about to be decimated. And it's like, well, a couple of trees are down, but. (laughs) Well, and also it's like the optics of that, I think, are very strange because that is a town that has struggled with a lot of there's a racial history there. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, should that happen at oh, ground right, zero of the Tulsa massacre getting destroyed yeah and now and we're that, just doing it again yeah yeah I just felt kind of weird like it, it seems like maybe that was a line that just maybe wasn't thought through mm-hmm. um so I, that I don't know whatever perhaps yeah it also is uh, but that is like Ozymandias's whole deal though at the same yeah. time is that he's that gray morally gray so right but but to be fair though he is painted in a heroic light like both times i watched that moment i was cheering ozymandias on to yeah pour the squids on lady true so yeah i i yeah that that is a, a small part of the show that i think we both agree probably could have used another draft to mm-hmm. you know not unintentionally offend mm-hmm. um yeah um, if i can also just chime in again uh that that cool scene where uh all the heroes work together to drop frozen squid and save the day uh you, you notice who's not in that room helping oh uh sister night sister night <laughs> oh sister night yeah not, not involved in anything at all just yeah. standing to the side um which actually talk, talking about the uh the effectiveness of the the squid uh everything within a five block or five mile radius whatever he says is about to get demolished Except for uh, Sister Knight with a small plastic bin over her head, mm-hmm. <laughs> running yeah. running three city blocks. Actually, That's it was fine. a bulletproof case, but... <laughs> oh, was it really? <laughs> yeah. No. But... Oh, oh, okay, then forget it then. I, I thought it was just like, just a piece of just debris. Like a bin. But, yeah. uh, uh, but again, though, like Ozymandia says things are going to get demolished, and it's like a couple cracks in a windshield, and then Lady True dies, but... That yeah. seems to be about it. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it was a, a good idea to use that portal 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. But if they had just like, but I, I understand. I think you were talking about this too, about like streamlining storyline. Mm-hmm. There just was not enough time, I think, to have developed. Cause then like, imagine you have like 15 minutes left in the episode. You have all of these characters transported to this room. And then suddenly we have like three minutes to come up with a plan to save you know the world like it's like it's tough because i understand where that got shortened it just definitely feels like it could have changed but here's the thing i love how protracted the whole scene was when the calvary gets transported and then just immediately killed i kind of liked how no that makes sense i was just talking about the squid specifically like they could have done something different in that but yeah yeah, yeah i'm talking about the the finale is surprisingly not polarizing, but it's not as acclaimed as the other previous eight episodes. Mm-hmm. But I, I still just love it. I, I I think it it totally tracks for Lady True's character. It's a little convoluted how she relies on the Seventh Calvary stealing her batteries mm-hmm. just so she could transport. That's a little a little convoluted. Well, I, but I let you steal them. Yeah, it's like all right, you, you can't right. Yeah. You can't plan everything. But mm-hmm. but how the whole process of how like Lady True is pulling the strings all along, how she made a deal with Will Reeves, who gave up Dr. Manhattan, and in exchange she kills the Seventh Calvary for him. So satisfying. Mm-hmm. And then what we talked about at the beginning, Lady True's seemingly slow turn into like a full-blown evil villain. Because when I first watched the show, even in episode four, when she's introduced, I thought she was like a an anti-hero, but someone who you were going to root for. It actually was kind of a twist in my eyes that she became full like evil. Yeah. And that, that was just something that I, I really wasn't expecting. I, I really appreciated how she was so close to becoming Dr. Manhattan. And mm-hmm. then at, at the finish line, her dad is transported away and then her device is dropped on her yeah i I just i loved it feels very succinct but in a good way Mm -hmm. i just like how it like everything comes together in a big chef's kiss of Mm. just (laughs) everything was resolved like right there in that town square and it's something that lindelof rarely does resolve things (laughs) um and yeah i i really appreciated that finale so um Something that shocked and amazed me. Can you believe that? And had I want to word this correctly? Uh, can you believe that it was the the Watchmen show not made by Zack Snyder that just had a crucifix in the background when <laughs> Lady True was about yes. to become God? Can you believe that Zack didn't do that? <laughs> yeah, he's Zack, the most unsubtle filmmaker in the world. <laughs> But yeah, that's the thing with symbolism. When I'm not jiving with a movie and you try to like, Zack Snyder does this all the time, put overt religious or Mm -hmm. other symbols in, I'm just like, oh, go to hell. Like who gives a (laughs) shit? But when I really love something at that moment, when they put in the crucifix, like in the split um, diopter frame, Mm -hmm. I was just like, this is cinema. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I'm like- this is the best thing I've ever seen. So, yeah, a huge hypocrite there. But, um, yeah, when something's done well, I say throw in all the symbolism you can. But, yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's insane that 
Zack Snyder. But I mean, Zack Snyder did that a bunch with Dr. Manhattan, although a lot of those frames came from the graphic novel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that is a funny uh, right. little bit. That... That's got him written well, all over it. I mean, speaking of religious symbols, obviously the show is very heavily, it's imbued with symbols. But the other thing that's very heavily religious is the last scene where the way that Angela Abar mm-hmm. is going to test whether she has godlike powers is by walking on water. Right. And the only thing that I have to say about that last scene, other than I thought it was great, and I like that we leave that a little bit open-ended. Yeah. Although I think it's very... I think I just shouted into the microphone. Sorry. <laughs> I think it's pretty heavily hinted at that she will have the powers. I mm-hmm. I almost hesitate to say it's an open-ended ending, but I read this online and I wanted to bring it up because I think it was really smart. And I think it shows the difference between Zack Snyder's taking the graphic novel and putting it straight onto the screen versus Damon Lindelof, where he said, I understand what they're trying to do with the graphic novel and I'm going to like change it or tweak it and make it fit my meaning was that the last window in the graphic novel is a hand hovering over Rorschach's journal. And you Mm -hmm. don't know if his journal will be published, but you pretty much know it has to be published because like we're reading the graphic novel and you kind of like, you make the assumption that it will be published. And with this last ending, you see, a foot hovering over the water, which also like kind of pretty much has that ending wrapped up into it. And the meaning is kind of imbued in that. So I think it was just interesting how he like ended on the same kind of shot. Yeah. That's kind of, I mean, I didn't, I, I didn't catch that at all. That's, that's great. It, it's See, so similar. Yeah. yeah that's it amazing. was, yeah. It was a detail that someone called out. I think it might've even been the interviewer in that. <laughs> article that I've mentioned a couple times but like the imagery I wouldn't have realized because I've only read the graphic novel once but then when it he he called attention to it I was like wow like yeah so smart and and it is imbued with that religious you know meaning and she's becoming a god and all that stuff and I think it furthers the point that she is going to have that power right yeah Sorry, listeners, the noise in the background is the dog. We're dog sitting, going to town on a bone. (laughs) Um, Michael, I hope you can't hear it, but it's like... The listeners will be able to, but Mm -hmm. whatever. This is a great, great episode regardless. Yeah, it's the perfect ending in that it makes you go, oh, at the end. Mm -hmm. Like, I hate to bring up, like, everyone's favorite movie, but Inception, the ending there with the top spinning and wobbling around. Mm. Never saw it. Never saw it. Yeah, oh, really? I'm sorry. I, I didn't know that was homework for the Watchmen <laughs> discussion. Oh, yeah. yeah you get an F. Yeah, <laughs> oh, we count that. Homework oh, counts it for... Yeah. Well, you don't know the context. Hopefully that's not mm-hmm. a spoiler. Um, It is a pretty big, massive spoiler, <laughs> but... Um... If I haven't seen it yet, I'm never going to get around to it. But there's like a top or something. Yeah. It's worth looking into. That's uh, all I'll say. And I, I'm sure a billion people have said this to you, but I, I'd recommend Inception. Hmm. Uh, I'll give it a shot. All right. Uh, I've been laughing to myself throughout this just because I keep thinking, what if uh, 
Angela doesn't get the god powers, and you're just watching that scene unfold from a distance. A woman, a woman just cracks an egg into her mouth and then falls in a pool. Yeah, yeah. Her her neighbor next door is like, "Well, Angela's gone insane." You know, it's funny though because I feel like wouldn't that be such a dramatic opening to season two of Watchmen? You see her and she just falls through oh, the water. Man. That's what I was thinking would be a wonderful opening. Not that, and the the bummer is that I'm sure. You know, if Damon Lindelof or anyone tried to make a season two, they probably wouldn't even touch Angela. Yeah. I, mean, um, I yeah. think they would try to like wrap that up and move on, as I hope they're doing with Knives Out too. Leave the other characters untouched, move forward with other people. But I think that would be an incredible opening to season two. Yeah. <laughs> she falls through the water. I, I would take that as like a two minute short film that gets released and then just no season. Just, mm-hmm. <laughs> just show me that and then. That's that's a wonderful little follow-up. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, uh, damn. Well, dang, you could talk for much longer as the case with all our guest episodes. I know. But final thoughts, Michael. I want to know, do you have a reason why it's like important for people to read the graphic novel? Yes. Um, yeah. So sit, I, let's hear that. And then also kind of final thoughts on the show itself. Well, Go. so I'll, I'll tie the two together. Um, I, I don't view this series as a sequel. I view it as a, like a what if. This is, mm-hmm. this is just like a potential storyline because I do think that the graphic novel is such, a, such a, a self-contained work of art and it leaves so many questions and so many like philosophical inconsistencies for the reader to determine. And what the series does is basically makes adamant decisions on those questions. And the the best example I can give, I mean, we were talking before about the book ends with Dr. Manhattan going off and doing whatever. The series says, no, he comes back and he falls in love again. But the best example is all of Watchmen leads up to this question, this, this trolley problem of, is Adrian's decision correct in killing all these people to save the world? And the, the series answers that by saying, no, by having Laurie arrest him, uh, and having, if that wasn't enough, having a scene in episode seven where a courtroom full of people point at him screaming guilty over and over again, as it just zooms in on his sad face. So the series definitely takes a stand on that, Mm, mm -hmm. Um, which is fine because it it does stuff with that. It's not like it's just, you know, making a decision and that's it. It's like the plot is around the decisions that it makes, but... The book itself, I think the question is so much more fascinating than trying to learn about the results. Like, you take the trolley problem you guys were talking about it before, the question of, you know, do you intentionally kill one person to save five gets a little muddled when you say, oh, well, those five, they're going to fight anyway, and one of them's going to kill this one, and one of them, and it it just, it muddles up the, like, the, the philosophy of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, definitely and that's that's kind of my opinion of the whole series it's that it takes a work that really poses a lot of questions to the reader and answers them it goes a step further with it but it does make decisions um, yeah great show yeah, yeah I, I like just, that I just disagree with everything that they did that's yeah. all <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think that's a really succinct way of of saying it because again I'm so new to the property that I'm I'm still sort of in shock with everything and what happened and like trying to figure out if 
finishing the novel made me like it more. Should I read it again? All that stuff. So I feel like I have to just like suspend my judgment of everything. I loved the show. I think the show out of all three properties or versions is my favorite of everything. And I think I got a lot out of it because I just align with a lot of what they were saying metaphorically. So I really enjoyed it. Like this totally changed my understanding of the novel and in a good way. Yeah. As we mentioned in previous episodes, we weren't fans of the movie. So obviously we liked the show more, but I view like the graphic novel and the series as like two different, like I can't almost can't even compare them Mm -hmm. in my mind. I I admire the graphic novel differently than I do the series as a, the series is like a meaningful, relevant piece of entertainment. Whereas like, the graphic novel is like a perfect satirization of superheroes and, you know, its own original story. And obviously the show owes everything to Alan Moore mm-hmm. and Dave Gibbons, but yeah, just wonderful pieces of art four to four for both the graphic novel and the show. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we've been recording for like two hours and I have to take the dog out to pee. So yeah, to we should probably say I'm starting to get a little antsy. But yeah. Michael, boom, sir, mm-hmm. where can people find you if you want to be found? That's a great question. Uh, I guess you can find me on, on Instagram. Uh, it's uh, Michael Shortino spelt phonetically. So it's M-Y-K-L-E short Eno. <laughs> Uh, maybe it'll be written somewhere. I don't know. Uh, I thought, I thought that would be easier. Only if you give us permission. Yeah, we won't I, share your information. I actually never picked up on that. that that's just, your name spelled phonetically. I just thought you were just being quirky <laughs> just with letters. smashed the keyboard and yeah. just hope for the best. I yeah, just no. never picked up on that. Uh, I thought, I thought yeah. it was much more clever than it actually is. So good luck finding that. I have uh, dink, dinky little animations that I'm working on. And, uh, nice. And other than that, um, yeah, good luck finding me. Um <laughs> Thanks for having me on. I, I'm, I'm excited. If you guys ever wanted to do a spinoff podcast where you just talk about Watchmen, uh, I'll, I'll be on every week. We could. We could. I mean, we did we did four episodes on this gosh darn graphic yeah. novel, so we could. Which one episode way, on a full episode? Can you can you call it what would it be? Watch Watchmen, Watchmen Part Four, HBO series Part Three, Episode Six Part Two, Rambo First Blood Part Two. <laughs> is that is that how the the how the breakdown that's works? That's how it's looking. Yeah, at this point. And it'll be like a true like a horror series where we say final chapter, but of yeah. course it's only the mid middle chapter. Right. And oh yeah, you had said this joke earlier, but our spinoff podcast is going to be called called Men Watching Watchmen. <laughs> yep, cute. And then and then talking talking watch oh yeah watching, men watch watchmen watching men talk men uh <laughs> watchmen I, i'll edit this out i only put in the jokes that land all right well th- <laughs> thank you for listening and thanks for being on thanks for Michael. having me this is great yeah please rate and review subscribe if you haven't already we love all of you appreciate everyone listening and yeah we'll see you on the next one <laughs>